0: The TY Media Week programme is funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee and has been devised by Learning Waves in association with LMFM.
1: You're listening to the TY Takeover on LMFM. If you have any songs or requests that you'd like to give to us, WhatsApp or text us on 086 1800 658.
2: Hello everyone, my name is Anya and welcome to TY Takeover on LMFM. Coming up, we will have some exciting interviews, some super music and at the top of the hour, we will have your news bulletin. Sophie here. Anya and
3: I also discuss the challenges us young people face in school, including the juggling of social life with school. This is the TY Takeover on LMFM. Hello,
4: LMFM. Hello
3: everyone, my name is Sophie Carr and I'm a TY student from the bush. I'll be chatting to Cara Byrne first, who is a member of the Irish Association for Counselling and Psychotherapy. She uses a unique method of hiking therapy, which is where therapy sessions take place outdoors. This actually helps boost endorphins, which are feel-good hormones, And exposure to natural light has been proven to increase levels of improved mood and self-esteem. She has huge passion for her job and a lot of experience working with us young people and the challenges we face at school. Here is her on Instagram giving us one tip for tricky emotions. If you're feeling unmotivated
5: or procrastination is kind of stopping you from doing things or making you do things you shouldn't be doing, then try some Wim Hof or Breath of Fire breathing, um, which I won't show you here because it it takes quite a bit of practice. But that increases your norepinephrine, which um, makes you more focused and makes it easier for you to work.
3: Cara, it's an absolute honour to have you on the show as you're in huge demand with sessions and talks. How are you keeping?
5: i feel so good. sound good. Thank brilliant, you. Brilliant,
3: brilliant. I have a few questions um here if you don't mind answering. Yes. So you work in Ireland's only hiking psychotherapy practice based in Dublin and Meath, which is called Hike Psych.
6: Yeah.
3: How did you uh, get into this job? Did something inspire you?
5: Yeah. Well, I, I suppose they happened in two different different parts. The um, therapy I started. Having, I, I used to run to clothing boutiques which went under in the recession, mm-hmm. so I, I suddenly found myself out of work and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and after a lot of careful consideration I decided I wanted to be a therapist. Yeah during the recession I I retrained and started working as a psychotherapist and then in 2017 I got into hiking um, when a friend of mine asked me if I'd like to go on a girls weekend to Scotland and I thought we were going shopping for the weekend but actually as it turned out we were climbing Ben Nevis Wow. Um, so I very quickly had to go and get myself into uh, into a hiking shop and get of some boots and, and get sorted. So it was kind of after that that I started considering putting the two together. Um, mm-hmm. I started a community group and went for kind of weekly walks with a group of women, yeah. a group of mothers in here in Stepside in Dublin. And it was really on those walks that I saw the benefits of talking while moving. Yeah, you know, that yeah. that lovely rhythm and cadence and the fact that people seem to build up trust and, at a much greater pace. And that kind of was where the idea was, was born.
3: Yeah, I guess that, you know, therapy it means you're stuck with a person in a room you're sat down and you just talk and it's I feel like it's more intense than you know going for a walk looking at the beautiful scenery and all that um, relaxation while you're walking it's a huge benefit.
5: It really is yeah especially for people with anxiety if you have a very anxious active mind the act of walking gives your body something to do with the energy. You know, it takes a, some of it out of your head, and, and that can actually be really helpful in being able to access the thoughts that otherwise are so caught up in the spiraling, you know, that they uh, that you, you can't get to them because there's so much happening. So you are using quite a lot of energy just to move and to focus and to, you know, look around and to, you know, mind your steps. So um, it clears a bit of space in the head for for what's actually the problem you know
3: yeah and you would you say that you'd get more out of it rather than you know being in a room talking do you think that um people are definitely more open when they're on these walks and
5: yeah I really do I mean there's a lot of research behind it as well not as much as there should be because obviously nature is free so Mm. people tend not to put research money into something that's available for free you know you can't sell it the the research that is there very much supports the idea that it builds a kind of a a trusting relationship faster that it reduces rumination which is you know kind of the core of of anxiety and a precursor to depression and kind of levels you off you know if you walk into a therapy room and there's a you know someone sitting over there across the table with the tissues on it you know looking all professional and and kind of reserved it's it's a much more contrived environment than Mm. I'm meeting this person we're here we're side by side or shoulder to shoulder and we're we're walking together we're both getting rained on we're both getting mucky you know it's much more it's much more level it feels less intimidating
3: yeah Brilliant. And um talking about um anxiety, I guess um it's a big topic with yeah. um young people nowadays. Um what would you say is the biggest problems us students face in secondary schools, especially, you know, students who currently face exams like the Leave in or Junior Cert?
5: Yeah, I mean, anxiety does seem to be something that, that is becoming more prevalent, um, especially in young people. And I, I certainly think COVID had a lot to do with that social disconnection is not good for us. We are meant to be around people. Of course, that came with a threat as well. You know, this invisible, this invisible threat that was floating around that we didn't really know what to do with, you know, but mm. so that hasn't helped. But really, anxiety is for students, you have to look at where is the fear coming from? Mm. What What is sparking that fear? And is that fear rational? Because like, we're meant to feel anxiety. It's normal to feel anxious before you give a presentation or before, oh, you know, before you do something. You know, you should feel anxious. That that keeps you on your toes. It, you know, it gets your blood flowing. It gets you thinking clearly. You know, you you react faster. So, anxiety in and of itself is not an unhealthy thing. It, it needs to be used in the right way. And if you're becoming anxious about things that actually pose no threat, then it's really important to check that. So, you know, a lot of the time we would talk about. thing called catches, checkers, changes so if you find yourself thinking anxious thoughts all the time, where did that come from? Like let's catch it in a moment, okay I'm feeling really stressed now what has started this, where did this begin? You know if you have an upcoming test or something, yeah that's okay That's like you should feel a bit anxious about that but if your thoughts about that are incredibly negative and not based on facts if you are, I'm definitely going to fail if you know it's going to go horribly, I'm going to fall on my way to the desk and everyone gonna laugh at me you know then you've got to check it you go hang on a minute now how did I do in the last exam you know if you've Mm. always failed every exam then yeah okay the the, the evidence would suggest that possibly you're gonna fail this one too but chances are that's not the case so why is your brain telling you that that is a risk factor when there's no evidence to support it so you check it you check the thoughts catch it first check Mm. it and then if you realize through checking that actually there's nothing supporting that anxious thinking then you try and change it you go okay well what do I know you know have I studied am I ready for this is everything in place that should make this go not perfect but okay you know and if it doesn't go okay will I get through it so that's how you start changing the think you have to anxiety can only live, live when there isn't facts to to negate it so if you can check the evidence kind of bringing your thoughts to trial if you like looking for the evidence if you brought this thought to a judge the judge would go where's your evidence to support this if you have no evidence your brain will go okay you know there's nothing there's nothing backing this up it's an irrational Mm -hmm. thought so But catching it first is the most important thing, because if you don't realize that you're in a spiral, it will continue. It's like a snowball. It will just keep going. So you want to catch it as early as you can and then check whether it's a legitimate fear, whether there is a threat or there's not. And if there isn't, then work on changing that
3: yeah I think it's really interesting what you're saying um thank you so much for that so uh talking about stress mm-hmm. and the pressures of school, I think everyone can relate when you know when their upcoming test is yeah. about to you know arrive yeah. <laughs> or they have their mocks or they have their juniors yeah. start to prepare for the yeah. huge they feel um huge pressure and stress. Yeah and, you know, they're feeling incredibly overwhelmed. What tips or advice would you give to those students?
5: Um, Well, I mean, I suppose understanding your attention, the capacity of your attention is really important. So you have to learn a lot. There's no way of making that easier. You know, the task is huge. Really, the thing is to try and work within the, the best basis that you can. So our attention span after 45 minutes, basically disappears. Mm -hmm. So you work fine up to about forty minutes, then from forty to forty five, it just it just falls off a cliff. Staying in studying past forty five minutes is pointless. It's really pointless. Mm -hmm. You are much better served going, okay, I've hit that I've hit that limit. Nothing is really going to go in now. I'm going to get up and I'm going to leave. We're often very hesitant to do that. We think if I just keep the head down and I just keep going, you know, it'll go in but it it won't go in your brain has reached capacity for that moment so really if you can get up and move and go for a walk particularly Mm -hmm. out in nature because nature allows uh, what's called soft attention so it's it's a very healthy source of attention which is much less jarring and and negative than our than our kind of usual heavy attention
3: and like if you're feeling angry or stressed or overwhelmed yeah. or anything like that do you have just even really simple techniques to um help you
5: yeah i mean it'd be different for different things if you're feeling anger generally anything physical is really good like a punch bag or you know go up to a mountain throw throw a heavy rock <laughs> something that gives your body somewhere to put the energy that goes into anger
7: mm-hmm. if it's
5: something like anxiety or stress or worry then breath work is like more powerful than virtually all um, medications that you can take for anxiety. So things like, you'll be able to look all of these up online, but like four square breathing or physiological size, all mm-hmm. of those things will, will help you take the anxiety down, tell your brain, tell your body that it is actually safe, that there is no threat. Mm-hmm. They're incredibly powerful, but we have to remember to do them. Most people know that, you know, breath work is important or that, you know, there's loads of breathing exercises. Very few of us actually do it. So, you know, it's it's about making it a priority and looking at it as if, you know, it's been written on a prescription from a doctor and someone has said, this is what you need to do when you feel this way.
7: Mm-hmm. And
5: doing that, you know, it does have to be a kind of a daily practice,
7: mm-hmm. you
5: know, for it to really be beneficial. A lot, a lot of the time we leave it to the very last second. And at that point, sometimes it's, we've gone too far into it mm-hmm. to pull ourselves back. So, yeah, lots of daily small things will will help a lot more than throwing a load of stuff at a crisis
3: thank you so much Cara. um how can we find you on social media are you on instagram or facebook <laughs>
5: I'm, I'm on instagram yeah that's probably the the main place to find me so it's at hikesite.ie on instagram and my my website is hikesite.ie as well great
3: Cara, you've been great thank you so so much for your time hopefully we'll hear again from you soon it was
5: lovely to talk to you sophie thank you
2: Hello everyone. My name is Onya, and welcome to TY Takeover on Allamafan. And now we have some tips for students who may be suffering mentally. Talk to friends and family. If you've concerns, stresses, or worries, sharing these problems or issues is one of the most effective ways to calm your nervous system. As they say, a problem shared is a problem solved. Stay active. Regular exercise or activity can have a major impact on your mental and emotional health, relieve stress improve memory and help you sleep better. Exercise releases endorphins in your body which helps to improve your mood. Don't skimp on sleep. Sleep is our body and mind's best way to recharge and rejuvenate. To get a better quality sleep, reduce time on devices such as smartphones and tablets. Consider reading or listening to music before bed. Quiet your mind. Try meditating slash mindfulness. Relaxation exercises can improve your state of mind and outlook on life. In fact, Research shows that meditation may help you feel calm and enhance the effects of therapy. Get help when you need it. Seeking help is a sign of strength, not a weakness, and it's important to remember that treatment is effective. People who get appropriate care can recover from mental illnesses.
3: Now we have a WhatsApp voice note request in for a song.
0: Hi Sophie, can you play Freed From Desire by Gala?
3: No problem Patrick, here's Gala, only on TY Takeover on LMFM. I am now joined by Connor and Eilish, two TY students from Bush Post Primary. Welcome to you. How are you feeling?
8: Oh, good. Thanks. Thanks for having us on this.
3: Now, Connor, we'll start with you. Would you like to say um, how your experience in school was like during the junior CERT course, particularly during third year?
8: I would actually. I actually didn't think it was that bad. You could knock it for its stress. You know, you could always talk about how the pressure, but I feel like it's necessary. You're going to have sooner or later, most people are doing the leaving CERT. So, having something to prepare you for that in third year is pretty important the structure and the time management skills. But that's just me. I feel like many people would disagree with that. But on my my opinion was it was grand, third year experience. If I was asked to do it again, I would. But uh probably financially compensated this time for the stress because, you know, don't want to be waking up that time early again. But yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good in general.
3: Now for the junior, sir. Now, I remember how crazy it was for me, to be honest. Like, I had to study nearly every single day. Oh, yeah. Barely had time to meet up with friends. And on top of that, I had loads of curricular activities to attend to.
8: But yeah, like, you, you did. And I feel like... You can't have it all easy. At some point in your life, there's going to be a time where you're restricted, whether that be, as you said, with the social elements of it or even the mental health of studying every night. But I think if you genuinely put the work in, it'll pay off. You study, you put your head down, and seeing them results, not only shows on the paper, but it shows in you. you would be proud of yourself after doing all that, after sacrificing the time, but at the end of the day, it comes down to if you value your social status more than your genius or results, that's going to show. But uh, it really is up to you. I think it's worth getting the head down and studying. Some people might disagree and say it's a waste of time, as many do, but honestly, I that's up to your interpretation. Support was there for whoever needed it. I feel like if you were struggling, whether it be mental health, it be academic, you could always ask for it. That might be just my school in general, but I feel like it probably a universal thing. But to be taught, you let be real, I wasn't you know, getting up at like 7 every morning. It wasn't voluntarily going to school now. You know, it was very hard to get to bed every single morning, as everyone else can say. Course, but, you know... Coming into school, there was very few days where I came in there and I was like, I'm dreading this. I'm dreading this or that. You just kind of yeah. got in and it became a system out for a while. It became your life. It was It was just, it, it was. what it was. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's important to mention that.
3: About the short courses in school, what did you think about them? Such as well-being. I mean, were they helpful to you in any oh. way? <laughs> They're <laughs> well, worth it. Yeah, well,
8: listen, well-being, 90% of the time I was sitting in the back of the class thinking what I was making for food later. Honestly, <laughs> there's very few times where I was sitting sitting there going you know this is a really interesting thing but it's down to whoever you are i feel like it's important subject to have i mean i did find well-being helpful some things discussed about how you can always reach out to someone if you need it that's important for some people to hear because having that voice in the background saying you need help it can help people so i think it's good
3: now Ailish, over to you how did you find preparing for the junior cert
9: uh junior cert i
7: will not lie like i didn't go mad studying like i don't think i was like i was one of people that put in like effort uh, like the last two weeks maybe like didn't put a lot of stress in it like I know I probably should have put a lot more work than I did but yeah I didn't put a lot of stress that's,
8: like, yeah, that's fair but there's a fine line between too much homework like I actually remember moderate, yeah, yeah because I I remember actually I started third year in higher level maths I, I, sorry, I teacher certainly teacher did, I certainly didn't finish the <laughs> year in higher level maths now but I remember the first few weeks the day I decided that I was getting out of that class was when I went to go and write the homework in my homework diary and it didn't fit on the line I generally mm-hmm. couldn't fit the amount of questions the amount of pages I was to do mm-hmm. but at the end of the day what's that teaching me what's two and a half pages of maths homework really teaching me it's it's wasting my time after a couple of questions i've grasped the concept why must i prove this another 17 times mm-hmm. i get the thing
3: now this statement um people who get better grades in school will be successful in life Ooh. What do you think of that now? Uh,
8: well, Ooh. you know
7: what? Like, I don't think grades are going to define you, but I think it shows your worth ethic. Like, People are going in the whole time saying, oh, this isn't going to affect me more like this. like, I think that just says a lot about you as a person i think like a lot if you look at very successful people like they didn't finish school but yeah, i think yeah, a yeah. lot of people go home and say to their parents oh look he didn't finish school so why mind school
8: yeah it's more your work ethic and showing yeah. that you can actually you know you've been given a task to do a good in a subject and you've done it an employer's going to look at that and go yeah that's useful but i'm not saying that is the only defining mm-hmm. trait that can get you a job there is plenty I other things I think it just
7: shows how you're able to like put your head down and work more mm-hmm. so then it defines how smart you are because like obviously like, you have different skills but like if one damn skills is because they don't give you a lot of Work, yeah, you hate one teacher because they're straight. Because they're trying to help and you. And then like, yeah, and then like it's just a lot of people's personal opinion. Like we get great on our academic performance; they don't personally grade us on how they like us. As a student. yeah, I don't need
8: I don't need to be best friends with this man to do well in his yeah. class. You know, there's been plenty of examples in history, not like, in history, but in the history where I haven't liked somebody, yeah. i haven't liked a teacher, I've done well. Really? Like, yeah, I'm sure everyone listening can say they went to a class saying that like I actually I cannot deal with this teacher at this time. Like this teacher, mm-hmm. I I just I can't do this because I know having I had carried. Matt's first thing on a thursday morning last year now he was a good teacher but that class in general not sure i came out there with any more brain cells they did when i started <laughs> at the end of the day it really is a biased opinion
3: we just want to say a huge thank you to all the listeners who tuned in to ty takeover on lmfm, hey, LMFM.
9: this is the ty takeover on lmfm Coming up in the programme, we'll be discussing young people in sport and mental health, as well as how you can use sports psychology to bring your performance to the next level.
10: We've got some excellent guests lined up. Ex-League of Ireland footballer John Morgan talks to us about what the FAI can do for young people.
6: Local GAA coach Tom Cooney gives an insight into underage coaching and psychology students gives some tips and tricks to up your mental game.
10: Our
1: final guest is Sue from The Thrive Project, a mental fitness group dedicated to helping people and athletes reach their full potential. I'm Derry and this is the TY Takeover.
9: Next we'll be talking to ex-League of Ireland captain John Morgan about the highs and lows of professional football.
1: Well John, thank you for taking time out to speak with us. We are all transitioning your students from Loud and Lead and we can't wait to ask you some questions.
11: Yeah, it's a pleasure and thanks for having me come in and and chat to you. I'm looking forward to it.
9: What's your sporting background? How did you get into football?
11: So I would have initially started when I was probably about five or six living in Swords at the time, so I would have done mini-league tournaments and blitzes uh, in River Valley, and that's actually where my first club was. Schoolboy career was with River Valley Rangers and St. Kevin's Boys, um, and then I obviously represented my school, and then I would have progressed into college, I did a PLC course, um, and from there, I went away to America for a year. When I came home then, I just played senior football in the Lancet Senior League, so I would have had numerous clubs between Eastmead United, Cardiff, Trinity, Dunhammede, Um, Boyne Rovers locally here. um. Then I progressed into the League of Ireland with Wexford FC. I had two seasons with Athlone. And now I'm currently back in Drottet with Boyne Rovers. So,
10: as a young athlete, was there any coach or sports person that inspired you to pursue a career in football?
11: Yeah, of course. Like every young lad, probably yourselves as well, you look at your favourite footballers and you, you think you want to be a footballer. That's that's your main goal in life. Um, And as you get older you realise that the football is an industry in terms of there's many different strands to it. Um, my dad was always heavily involved with me, whether he was coaching or driving me up and down the country, so he'd have been my main influence in football. Uh, but then throughout my career, I've played under coaches that have guided me and given me good advice in terms of uh, how to progress my career, the different avenues, the different educational streams and stuff like that, so uh, th- there's too many. Uh, I-, I don't think there's enough people that I could have leaned on uh, growing up, even in school teachers, in terms of guidance counsellors they would have given me more than enough information um, and then it's just about as you grow older, you mature you understand what you, you want to do in life um, and that, that can take time but even outside of the sport uh, you, you look at people in different sports you look at um, Katie Taylor now what she's doing, um, so again there's, there's, there's different ways you can get influences in sport not just your own, that answers your question
9: How did your guidance counsellor react when he told you you are going to be a professional footballer?
11: Well, I think when I was in school, I think there was 120 lads, so I was in an all-boys school, and I think 120 of us all wanted to be professional footballers. There was only three that, that actually became professional football. It's about maturing. Your education or your sport can get you a really good ed- education. So I would have had two scholarships in my time. I went to America, and when I came home, I went back to Carlo, and I would have got a sporting scholarship then as a mature student. So I kind of used my sporting ability to to find my path in my educational stream as well. So again, if football wasn't my, if I wasn't going to be professional football, or what can I use football to to gain in, in life, and that, and that was my education and, and obviously my career now.
6: Obviously, as a kid, there's a lot going on in your life. Uh, so how did you cope with balancing schoolwork and exams with training and competition?
11: Yeah, it's it's difficult. It was very difficult for me, and it's probably more difficult for players now. Um, I would have coached in the League of Ireland for the last couple of years and young lads are coming in at 14, 15, 16, and, and they're training nearly three, four nights a week, and then they're tra- are playing up and down the country, so they're obviously doing a lot more than I would have done at the time, but for me, I used to get a bus from from uh, Julianstown to Swords every day, which took an hour, and it's the same going home, so I would have got a lot of my homework done on the way home from school, or if I needed to catch up on things, I did it on the way, because after school, if I was still training in Dublin, I was hanging around Dublin for two hours, maybe I'd go to my uncle's for, for dinner or I'd stay in the school, try and get me work done there. Because I knew then when I was training and then driving home, it would have been a lot harder to do. Again, I don't think there's any right way of, of going about. I think it's whatever spare time that you have, you, you need to set aside for, for your schoolwork because it's, it's vitally important. You can be the best player in the world, but if you don't have an education to back it up, the, the, the sporting uh, career will eventually end. Uh, but if you don't use that to gain something else in life, then you're going to probably go back to square one. So it's all about balance for me, yeah.
9: Um, what do you think was the highest point in your career?
11: Oh, the highest? Oh, wow. Um don't know. There's been a few. Obviously, uh, I, I would have captained that loan in the League of Ireland. That would have been a, a, a proud moment for me. Um, and I, I've been lucky to be part of successful teams all through my career in schoolboys, representative teams, and in college. Uh, I had a, a cup final in college where I scored the winner in a one nil final, and my and my family were there to to support me. So that was that was one of the biggest highlights. But for me, I won a league title here with Boyne Rovers. I think it was 2016. Uh, my dad was the manager of the team, and on the team was two of my brothers as well. So that fit. That felt very good. I, I, a lot of the team are, are really close friends of mine as well. So that that probably would be the standout for me.
10: So, kind of this whole show is kind of dedicated towards pressure in sports so what kind of would you consider to be the lowest point in your career and then how did you go on to deal with it to end up where you
11: are now i think sports particularly at the highest level there's a lot more low points in it than high points i think that's why people celebrate the wins as, as, as much as they do for me the lowest points like i've been released from teams and and stuff like that and cut from squads which which is Devastating, particularly when you're 15, 16 and you miss out on big competitions, but for me, I think injuries are the, are the lowest points uh, I would have ruptured my, my knee ligaments when I was 19 years of age and I missed about seven months of football And you, you don't go to the training anymore because it's it's outdoors, it's raining, it can be cold So you're just in isolated doing rehab and it can be quite lonely you, you get down on yourself So at the time I would have worked with a sports psychologist Um, And just doing little goal setting and setting goals for the recovery process itself. So I had something else to focus on rather than just being away from from the team environment. So definitely uh, injuries for me is always the lowest point. But it's then about building that um, mental capacity of setting yourself, keeping yourself occupied. For me, it was working with the sports psychologist. And then from that, I, I, I now read a lot. I, I do a daily diary where I actually physically write every every evening in bed. I, I write about my day and stuff. So just little things that I, I've adopted over the years. But again, there's so many different avenues you can go down and and, and how to do that. But yeah, for me, injuries low point, they always have been. So uh, speaking of
1: low points, do you think uh, mental wellness is an important factor in any athlete's performance, especially during these low points?
11: Definitely. I think the, the mental aspect is possibly could be the most important. Because the, the technical aspect and the, the tactical and the physical we can work on and, and you can see it physically in kids and, and, and senior players. You can look at videos, but the mental capacity is, is, is hidden. You, you can't see what's going on, on in a person's mind. But when you have someone like a psychologist or a sports psychologist or you're setting yourself goals, you can see it then in confidence in, in players. And for me, I think that's where the, the, the awareness in games and decision making, people are a lot calmer, I found it, as I grew older. When I was young, I was quite emotional when I played. I, I'd be reactive to things. Whereas as I grew older, I learned to be a lot more level-headed and I could see the game a lot clearer. So I think the the mature kids are, as they come into senior football, helps them a lot more. Um, and I think that it's more evident when you see it on TV now, they talk about that a lot more. And there's a lot more podcasts being done on it, a lot more sports stars coming out and talking about how the way they feel and stuff. So, yeah, I think it's it's by far the most important, in my opinion, anyway.
6: Um, Obviously... As a footballer, you play in a lot of matches and some really big matches. Did you have any mental tips or tricks that you would have used to prepare? Such as mindfulness, visualisation, breathing, anything?
11: Yeah, yeah. visualisation I would have done a lot the night before when I was getting into bed. I like I used to always think about the goals I want to score or the movements that I'm going to make and how to lose defenders and stuff like that. In terms of the, the match day prep, I've I've always been in a specific routine. So I'd have my bag set the night before. My socks would be folded the same way. My shin pads would be clean. I'd always put my... I wouldn't be superstitious, but I'd like to keep... I'd put my right boots on before I put my left boots. Little things like that, but I'd always have music playing. Uh, I'd have different uh, genres of music, depending on how I felt when I got up. Uh, My meals would always be in the same time. So for me, it was just about the the routine of it. Um, And then when I'm at the ground, just trying to keep my my heart rate down, try not to think about the game anymore... Talk to people about you know their dogs, what they're doing on the weekend or anything like that. Just constantly keep yourself chilled out. And then when you get into the warm-up, then it's when you start refocusing then completely on the game. But after the game is finished, when it was our draw, it's about finding that chill zone again, trying to switch off again. And then when you, you come back into training on the on the Monday or the Tuesday, then it's, it's refocus time.
9: So for our last question, you talked there about listening to music for a game. Um, is there any particular song that gets you like hyped up and ready to go?
11: <laughs> like I was saying, it again it comes down to the, the type of mood I'm in when I get out of bed. Oasis would have been my favourite band growing up, so anything I just put shuffle on uh, and I, I, I let it I let it roll but um the Kings of Leon would be another one, but then I, I could go to Rick Ross there's been times where I listen to Taylor Swift comic, <laughs> right? so it's just it's one of them things I, sometimes I have a playlist I let it shuffle I might skip a song now and then but I don't think there's any one specific song that I, yeah. I go to it would be more genre oh, thanks very much no problem thank best you. of luck thanks you very time. much thank you project.
9: that was ex-League of Island captain John Morgan on the TYJ Google. I see
11: out too late
9: Next, we'll be talking to local GAA coach Tom Cooney about what mental techniques he uses to encourage and support his team.
1: Can you hear me there? Hello, how are you doing? Uh, good, yeah, how are you? I'm good, thanks, I'm good. Firstly, just start off like very vague, so why did you become a GAA coach?
12: So I became involved in GAA through my children when my eldest boy was five or six and started playing for the local village team. I went along to support him and then realized that there was nobody available to help with the coaching um, because i'd come from a GA background uh, i decided to help out then as i became more involved uh, i wanted to get better at it so i took my coaching badges and also like i'm a lecturer as a profession so my teaching background kind of would have influenced my Uh, approach to coaching as well so overall i'm an accidental coach rather than being somebody whose life ambition was to become a coach or to coach at at a at a high level
1: yeah so when you're coaching do you feel there's a lot of pressure on young people in underage sport
12: yes um but not not necessarily for everyone i think the pressure gets greater as you become older and also becomes much greater as you, become, as you move up to higher levels. So once you get into elite levels of sport, uh, then it, you know, the pressure certainly becomes much greater. I look at young lads who are on, you say, county academies. And I look at, you know, from a young age at 14, 15, 16. They're doing weights, they're doing you know eating programs to, to bulk up their... They're doing recovery programs. And they're doing that because they want it. they want to succeed, they want to be on the county team, but it's also putting far greater pressure on them. The other thing I would say about the pressure on young people is that it's partly coming from the coaches as well. Coaches are much better trained these days than they used to be. And they're much better Prepared for for training sessions, but that also puts higher levels of expectation on the coaches. Those higher levels of expectation come from the players themselves, who are demanding more of coaches, uh, and it also comes from the parents who are demanding more of the coaches, and, and indeed, the coaches are demanding more of themselves. So because they're, they're better trained, it means that there's higher expectations are upon them. And higher expectations ultimately means winning trophies.
9: Yeah, so, hi Tom, I'm up for the next question. Uh, what age do you think winning games and trophies, etc., should become important? Obviously winning and losing is a big part of sport, but at what sort of an underage level so should that become the be-all and end-all?
12: Winning of trophies as the ultimate ambition in my view, should become only a priority at around 16, 17 years of age. In GA terms, I would say at minor level. At minor level, you're about to enter into adulthood uh, in terms of GA, and therefore, you've got to be real. You've got to understand that... You'd have winning and losing is important. you got to understand how to win and lose. You've got to understand you know, the issues around not being picked to play and how do you respond to that. But I would say up to that point, ambition of the coach should be to develop good young people uh, in terms of their values, to develop their skill sets, uh, to appreciate that not everyone develops at the same Race and somebody who may be very good as under 12, you know, may not be as good at under you know at under 16 or under 17. What you don't want to do along the journey is is lose players because they feel they're not being included. And you should ensure that everyone feels part of the squad, feels that they're being given an opportunity, feels feels that they're learning, feel you know feel that they're enjoying what they're doing. But by the time you get to minor yeah winning is important
9: and do you think mental well-being is an important aspect of sport especially in underage levels
12: i think it's hugely important i think it's hugely important first of all i think that you you get to learn about different uh, qualities about yourself and also how you interact with other people i think for as a coach your first priority must be around player welfare and player well-being, and and obviously player development, right? So you're developing them in terms of skill sets, but also you're developing them in terms of you're growing up as young adults and, and the values and then the value systems that you give to them. We kind of have a thing where we talk about uh, a player whisperer. And by that, we mean one of the coaches in a training session having a quiet word with a player. So just saying, look, are you working on your left foot? You know, Are you working on your fitness? Uh, I noticed in the game last week that you weren't getting tight enough um, with, with the forward. What, what do you think? you could have done to manage that situation better. And in those player whisperer moments, you get an opportunity to work with players one-on-one in a quiet way where you're being positive, you're teasing out areas for development with them, but ultimately you're allowing them to take charge of their own welfare, their own development, uh, and, and that's that's really important. In addition to that, I would say it's an opportunity for young people to learn how to respond to adversity so for example one of my sons got dropped off rugby team a couple of years back and in the car on the way home he was hugely disappointed I said to him you've got three options here okay option one is you quit the team because you feel you've been hard done by and you got dropped and you felt it shouldn't have happened option two is you accept the decision and you sit on the bench for the rest of the year. Or option three is you respond to that challenge, okay, where you've been dropped. You talk to the coaches about why you were dropped, what areas you need to develop. You work on those areas for development, and you walk your way back into the team. I'm happy to report in that situation, he took option three, uh, responded to, to the challenge, and got back into the team. But not everyone responds in that way but that's part of learning about life. So yeah, well-being is hugely important.
10: Definitely, and how things, Tom, I'm, I'm James And The question I kind of want to ask you here is, like I know that kind of with the whisper system and stuff like that, you you have systems of dealing with mental health, but are, do you have any other ways?
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
10: Of dealing with this alongside players that maybe you could share with us.
12: The first uh, thing I would say is that in in any team I've been involved in, w- we clearly state that player welfare, player development, you know, is our priority. Okay, so we make that number one. We don't talk about winning trophies as number one. Do we want to win? Do we go to every match to win? Absolutely, we go to every match to win. But every player knows that their welfare their personal development is our utmost priority and should we have a choice between you know, a player being unwell being injured and that influencing the game then you know, we won't we won't take that risk we won't play put a player on the pitch if if we think it's you know it's not in their best interest player welfare first so i think that's really important because once people know that Parents are happier, but the, but but the players themselves, okay, know that they can come talk to you and say, "Look, I'm struggling here. What can you do? You know, what can you do to help?"
6: Right, Tom, uh, Cormac here now. And the last question: Who do you think will win the All Ireland?
12: <laughs> um, well, having watched Dublin and Louth recently, I don't think either of those will win. <laughs> but I do think it's a very open Leinster championship, and I do think that Lourdes have a great chance of winning the Leinster Championship given they've had a you know, very good league campaign. I think it's it's quite open this year. Uh, I'd like to see Mayo win the All-Ireland. That would be my preferred option. I think they deserve it having been so close for so often. But I think the answer is Kerry. They would be my favourites to win the All-Ireland this year because I think they've just taken the league handy. They've got a superb team. They've got superb coach and Jack O'Connor they would be my pick when the All Ireland again this year.
1: Thanks Tom, thanks a million for coming on.
12: No problem. Hope that's been helpful to you and and your colleagues there doing the interview uh, great questions. I really enjoyed them actually. So the best wishes to you and your colleagues.
9: Cheers. Thanks.
12: Cheers Terry. Thank See you. Bye bye.
9: There was St Michael's GA coach Tom Cooney talking to the TY takeover on LMFM.
1: You are listening to LMFM's TY takeover and this is whenever wherever by Shakira. Are you
10: Coming up in the programme, we'll be discussing young people in sport and mental health, as well as how you can use sports psychology to bring your performance to the next level. We've got some excellent guests lined up.
9: And Luke McNally, champion defender for Coventry City, tells us about the pressures of moving to England at a young age.
6: You're listening to LMFM, the TY Takeover, and we're here with Luke McNally, Coventry City defender.
13: Thanks for having me on. Anyway,
6: no, yeah. Uh, thanks for coming on.
9: Hi, Luke. How's it going? Hi, uh, How are you? Good. Right. So we'll get started. Um, what is your sporting background? What drew you into football? Um,
13: probably just it's the going thing, isn't it? When you're younger and um, out in school, it was always playing football in that in Enfield. So yeah, I always just kind of played football as I was growing up and played GA with Nafina um, and then the soccer with the Celtic. So kind of played both of them all the way through playing like a bit of athletics as well and just the little different things as a kid, not taking it too serious. So, yeah, I just got interested in all different sports and probably stuck with the with the football more so at Enfield. And uh,
9: and at what point did you decide, you know, this is what you wanted to do for a living?
13: I, I probably always wanted to, but it's it's not always realistic, as you know. Like, there's so many people that have dreams of playing football or whatever it is they want to do, but it's not always, it's not always straightforward. Um, but I always kind of stuck at it, like, even... Even when I wasn't really probably expected to to get too far I always kinda of stuck at it and
9: And you mentioned you played football and Gaelic football. Do you think was there any pressure on you between picking the sports? Would you have any tips for young athletes who do have to choose between, say, two sports?
13: It's a tough one. I always just enjoy playing both and I would have played both all the way till about sixteen I would say. And so I got to a stage where I was going up to Dublin to play with I or go up to Drada to play with uh, with Drada. So it was it was it was getting to a stage where I, I couldn't do both as you get more serious and then you just there just comes a point where you gotta put all your eggs in one basket and from a sport perspective and I went with uh, I went with the football and yeah I miss I still missed the Gaelic I'd love to go back one day. But yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens there.
6: What was your proudest moment as an athlete?
13: I have to say, I'd, I've had a lot of good days, to be fair, like progression through clubs and that. I didn't manage to win any Cups or leagues yet, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I missed out on winning the playoffs with Trada, missed out in the playoffs with Oxford. So from a team's perspective, not many, but definitely proud, probably to go from, to make to make sort of, some sort of a career in England is probably my proudest thing. As you say, a lot of people move over from the League of Ireland and it doesn't quite work out for them, but luckily for me, I i done well at Oxford and then moved on to Burnley then after that. So I'd say that's probably my hardest thing, is that I went over to, a, I guess, away from home um, on my own and, and and gave it a good crack and, and made something of it, I suppose. So that's probably mine.
6: Yeah, so uh, the last question we have is, do you have any mental tips to prepare before games? Just anything that you do that get you in the game, in the mood for the game?
13: Um, <clears throat> I don't know, I, I suppose as you get older, you... You realise what works for you and what doesn't. Um, I like to visualise. Actually, funny enough, and there won't be too many footballers that will admit that. And um, but it's something I did, I did do. I started working with a psychologist when I came to England, and visualising was actually quite a strong part of it. So it's just basically when a couple of days before the game, you're picturing like scenarios coming off, and when you're practising them in your head, you're when you get onto the pitch, it, it doesn't seem alien to you. So. That's probably one I do. But trying to stay relaxed is the main thing, I think. is There's no point in hyping yourself up in the car before or on the bus on the way too much because you get to the gesture room and if chilled out, then do you know what I mean? You're yeah. you're only hyping yourself up. So just when you're going out to warm up, make sure you're on it then and go from there, really.
6: Well, uh, that's, that's all the questions we have. Hopefully, we'll see you in a, in a Coventry shirt next year again. <laughs> <Better> <laughs> be yeah. On loan, but uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Obviously, it means a lot to us.
13: Yeah, no problem. Cheers. Thanks for having me on. Hopefully
6: hopefully we'll see you in a playoff final in a few a few months' time.
13: Please, God. Please God. Thanks very much.
6: Right, thanks again, Luke. Keep up to date with us on Twitter, Twitter. At LMFM Radio.
14: This is the chart check-in on the TY Takeover on LMFM with me, Emily. Chart check-in. So number five, we have Kale Bill by Siza. Number four, Ceilings by Lizzie McAlpine. Number three, Boys a Liar, part two, with Pink Panthers and Ice Spice. Number two is Flowers by Miley Cyrus. And number one, of course, is Miracle with Calvin Harris and Ellie Goulding. That was the top five songs in Ireland on the chart check-in
6: with Emily. Chart check-in on LMFM. Our final guest is Sue from The Tribe Project, a mental fitness group dedicated to helping people and athletes reach their full potential. You're listening to the TY Takeover on LMFM. So uh, we'll start with the first question.
4: What is The Tribe Project? Hello, everybody. Thanks very much for having me today. It's an absolute pleasure and an honour to be here talking to you today. So Tribe Project is a small business that I set up delivering personal development training to teens and adults I specialise in mental fitness programmes to teens, which I teach through sports, sports clubs, um, youth clubs and schools. Um, I also work as a life coach and an EFT practitioner where I see clients on a one to one basis. And I deliver um, workshops and self-care projects to adults as well through parent groups and um, women groups and men groups.
10: So. What kind of benefits have you found from people taking your course?
4: So the benefits that I found, the feedback that I get, I do evaluations after every course, and the feedback that I get, especially around teen mental health, is there's an increase in confidence, an increase in awareness, self-awareness, an inner belief that they have the potential to, to move towards their goals and attain their goals. There's a, an increase in resilience and a huge increase in their self-awareness of what triggers them, how better to manage their stress and anxiety. Yeah, a big, huge a big huge difference in themselves. And
9: uh, do you find that sport is like a good platform for getting these messages across?
4: Absolutely, yeah. I find working with teens in sports, especially around sports, in any kind of um area where teens are, but specifically in sports, because they're in the sports field, they have an enthusiasm to learn more about themselves and they have an enthusiasm to learn more about how their body works and the mind works and how it all incorporates together. And when we teach a true sports, it's like um, for the better example, it's like the carrot. So if you, you know understand more about yourself and you understand how your mind works and you understand how the mind and the body works, because the body will always do what the mind tells it to do. And when I when teens understand that, especially in sports, they have an enthusiasm to to work. So they have this kind of like idea that, you know, the more that they, they soak it up and we're able to teach more mental health tools and techniques for them to help manage stress and anxiety. And I find using it through sports is the carrot because you're like, there's the end result and we learn from here and we work our way up. So yeah. they're, they're well on board and with it. Yeah.
9: when you go into, say, a school or a sports club, do you find in the beginning, do most teenagers have a relatively good level of mental fitness or
4: i find some of them do i find some of them they they all know about mental health they all know about mental fitness maybe not mental fitness but they understand mental health and um, some of them more so than others um, and i find when we go into into schools into sports clubs into youth clubs um, and when we teach and we break it down because what i do is i break it down into sections and uh, the, the young person learns through tra- what we call transformational learning. So it's not just all lectures, it's not just all this is what you have to do. You get involved, it's, it's engaging, it's fun, there's activities and the young people learn then how to incorporate it into their life. So it's teaching lots of different tips, tools, techniques for them to better manage their mental health but then also their inner world and their outer world.
6: So uh, if you had any tips just for teens on how they could improve their overall mental health, like what would it
4: be? Uh, tips that I would say is it's awareness, it's self-awareness. It's all about self-awareness. It's about understanding how your mind works. It's understanding how that self-talk, you know, the self-talk, as I call it, the, the rabbit going around, the, the monkey going around on the bike. I think you see it in Homer Simpson where he's going around. It's catching that. And I think when you understand that that monkey brain going around and around and when you're aware that that's what's happening, then you can make changes. So it's being aware, it's self-awareness.
10: And how important do you think good mental health is to young people?
4: I think it's very important. I think it's extremely important. I think because of the development of your brain at this age group and when you understand all about like how your mind and the body works together and when you understand um, different tools and different techniques and if you learn them now, the chances are when you're older, when you do come across challenges and you do come across, you know, events, you're better able to cope. You build resilience because you kind of like, oh, wait, hang on. Sue taught me a tool there. I can use my breath in order to calm myself down. You know, I can use this technique that will help me come back into the and response because when we have stress and anxiety build up, in us, we're in what we call the fight-flight-freeze response, which is the stress response. And we, we, we're we unable to um, calm ourselves down. But when we learn the, the tools and techniques that will help us calm down, bring us back into a calming response, we're then better able to cope with what life is thrown at us. And I think it's really important to teach young people now in this in, in this age group because then later on, they'll be able to go, hang on a minute, I have a tool for this. That's all our questions. Yeah. 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 Oh, you're very welcome, guys. Thanks again
15: for coming You're very, very welcome, guys. Welcome to LMFM's TY Takeover. My name's Tyke. We will be controlling your radio for the next couple of hours. Our exciting interviews include LMFM's very own Michael Reed, local TD Jed Nash and the Mayor of Drada, Michelle Hall, as well as voices of the local young people.
14: And I'm Aoife. Coming up, we're going to talk about what might happen in Drada's future. We have some great interviews and some class music. And my name is Emily. For our next interview, we have the Mayor of Drada, Michelle Hall. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for coming to talk to us today. It's really good to have you here to ask some questions. Just going to start. Then, Uh, do you think enough is being done to develop Drahada at the
16: minute? Uh, Thank you for having me today. It's great to be here with you all. Um, Do I think enough has been done with Drahada at the moment? I suppose there's a lot of things happening in Drahada at the moment, actually. Um, And while you mightn't see the end process of it yet. There is a lot of things in the pipeline, a lot of draft plans, um, a lot of applications being sent to government departments for funding Um, and we have a lot of housing and roadworks as well. So I think there's a lot being done that hopefully we'll see the end product in the next couple of years, and um, I think it has probably been neglected that we needed a little bit more being done in Drogheda over the last 20 years. So the country has been in a better state of affairs that there's a bit more money in the country, so there is a lot more money available for things that like our public infrastructure that might have been there before. So, for example, We have our active travel measures, so there's going to be about six million euro worth of cycle lanes going into Drogheda. There is the Westgate Vision, which you might have heard of, which is looking at developing from George Street down to the river and looking to drive people to come into town. So there's a, a plan for that and they're looking for a plan and application is going through soon so then they can apply for more funding from the government to actually realise it. So there's a lot of exciting public round things happening. And um, of course, we also have a lot of dereliction in the town. We do have a lot of homelessness, um, which is kind of like hidden from the public, really, I suppose. But there's a lot of people living in hotels and B&Bs. And hopefully with these new housing developments that are opening in the north, side of Drahada that will help relieve a lot of the pressure in the town and then there are plans by the government and hopefully successful, successive governments to really look at our dereliction and our vacant sites and um, all of those empty premises should be full of people living in them so hopefully they will be developed as well
14: So lots of very like important and exciting
16: things coming up then There really is yeah a lot of work being done
14: Well uh, yeah thanks Emil so for coming in so that's great to hear that there's stuff going on because you might not see it you know every day in your day-to-day when you're in town. Um, so I was just wondering, how do you feel about young people's services, say, in facilities? Because I know for us young people, they're, like we don't see a lot going on in the town. Mm-hmm. Like, there's stuff to do, say, in Fantasia, but that's quite far out of town. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, there's a cost of money, of transport, Um, mm-hmm. where even though the bike lanes are coming in, that's great. So that's getting people out and active.
16: There is a lot of probably gaps there for young people to do things, um, especially free things. As you were saying, there can be things that can cost money that you can go to. And one thing that we do have in Drada is a lot of sports clubs. There is a wide variety of types of sports clubs, like going from basketball to water polo. I hear cricket now has been very popular. So there is we have all of those facilities. but thing is a lot of teenagers do drop off and they don't really participate in a lot of that. I mean, we have a skate park. It's a very small skate park. We're looking to, um, you know, have something better than that, maybe for young people. And um, so I do understand we're lucky, I suppose, in the last couple of years, we've had the Boomerang Cafe yeah, that and that's
14: y- a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, the, yeah,
16: there really is. And even more so lately. And I know um, my son was at a gig at the weekend in Odd Molly's. So, you know, I think there's a lot of interest in music and Drogheda would be quite an arty town. At always was, even when I was growing up. So you have like a lot of drama, music, dance that is, you know, catering for a lot of people. But I think our outdoor spaces for young people need to be developed. So about two years ago, I put forward a motion for a play and recreation policy for County Loud and that goes through then a special policy committee. So I'm on that special policy committee and that will hopefully be start developing in autumn. And that's looking at um, a ten year countywide plan for Loud, looking at play and recreation uh, for all ages, not just for 0 to 12 or 0 to 18. We're actually looking at developing really nice play areas and recreational areas for all people. First of all, we're developing again, a lot of it comes from policy. So again, these are things that maybe younger people don't. Maybe um, you wouldn't be reading the newspapers or, you know, looking at Loud County Council website, but we're looking to develop different policies at the moment. We have the Healthy Ireland for Loud policy that's been developed and Coraline and Oog, the the young people's organisation, have been feeding into that through their consultation. We will also have um, the local community and economic develop pol- development policy. And that's looking at how can we improve life for everybody in County Loud. And that will include young people as well. And it's really important that if you do see things like that, say on uh, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or wherever you're you're on your social media, that you can also feed into those or if you have Coral and Oak representatives in your school and they ask you, it's really, really important that young people give their voices and see what you want to do, because I can interpret what you might want to do, but it really is young people that want to do stuff. So I think one important thing is probably smart towns where you actually have free Wi-Fi kind of around everywhere. You know, a lot of places have had that for a long time. I was in Sulu maybe ten years ago and they had Wi-Fi all over Salu, like no matter where you went. Whereas in Drota, we only have in this little um, bench maybe that you can sit on and you get your free Wi-Fi or you're going to your coffee shops and that. But what do you think that we need?
14: Um, Well, I think the sports is brilliant because a lot of young people like myself included, after Covid, Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff wasn't happening and then you didn't have the motivation to go back. So hearing that there's a lot in town and getting involved is really good. Because, you know, sports is a really big part of young people's lives.
16: Yeah, and young teenager girls as well sometimes don't feel they want to participate so there are programs now with the Loud Sports Partnership looking at encouraging girls coming back into sports and they have a girls soccer league and it started off with 300 and I think now they have 1500 I heard last week on it and then also I'm part of the Drogheda Cycling Group and we do um, we've had two women only cycle and teenage girls come to that as well and when it's only girls at it and only women more people come to it so that's really important that we also make for that.
15: So you've been saying there's a lot of stuff coming down the pipework. Mm -hmm. So as that is happening, do you think in the future, Drogheda could be seen as a city rather than a town?
16: Absolutely. Of course it will. Um, I think it will be inevitable. Um, The census will come out and we'll see what the actual figures are for Drogheda. Um, but also with the Northern Crossroad opening up and all of that housing, we could have potentially another 20,000 people living on the north side of Drogheda. So then you're maybe looking at 70,000 people in one town. And of course, that meets the parameter of being a city. Um, already, I have a lot of people say that have moved in from other countries and they say to me, oh, the city of Drogheda. So they actually don't even see it as a town, they call it a city without even knowing whether it is a town or a city. Um, and then with that, it is really important then that we have our own sort of management within uh, Drogheda being such a big town that we can um, have our offices and somebody looking specifically around Drogheda.
14: So like bringing back something similar to the borough Council?
16: Then. Yeah, but that's what it would be like. So Waterford City Council would have their own um, you know, planning section and housing section, etc. Um, same with Galway City Council. So I think that would be important, yeah. Mm-hmm. It would be great to see um, if we, you know, if we're developing Drogheda to be such a positive place to live in um, and to visit, that more businesses will come to Drogheda as well and that we'd have more jobs in Drogheda for young people in the future, which I think is really important that we don't have to commute to Dublin, we don't have to commute elsewhere for our jobs. And those things affect um, our social lives, affects the state of the roads because we've got so many cars on the road (laughs) constantly, it it actually causes such a, a wide variety of difficulties. So it does. But um, we're constantly promoting Drogheda and County Loud, I have to say, in fairness, are constantly promoting Drogheda as a place that's attractive to live in and for businesses to come and invest in as well. Is there anything else that you think you would like to see or me bring back to the council? Um, as I say, we have Curlin and Oak who do uh, come and represent uh, to us in Drogheda and then in Dundalk as well at our council meetings.
14: I think what you've been doing is really good, particularly promoting jobs, because I know a lot of people struggle Particularly at Aries to find somewhere mm-hmm. to work, yeah. like part time jobs, or a lot of places would be like, oh, you have to be 18.
16: Uh, and we have to remember, we're also very close to Dublin Airport, so there can be jobs in Dublin Airport for young people, people as well. So we can look at and we have great public transport links. We have the buses, the trains, you know, we're, we're actually we're in a great location, even if we do have to travel. Of course, though, we would prefer jobs in Drogheda because I know as a mammy, having to drive people around to different jobs <laughs> yeah. is a bit of a nightmare <laughs> and a constant full time job nearly in itself. So it is. But sure, it has to be done for the moment. But yeah. that's why we're looking to improve and public transport as well and that's one thing i'm really passionate about is that everybody should have um, access to cheap public transport and regular services from early morning to late in the evening because that's the way we work that's the way we go to college just want to thank you again michelle for coming in and answering our questions
14: that was Michelle Hall, Mayor of Drada. Thanks Emil for coming in and doing this interview for the TY Takeover. We've got a text in for a song request from Alicia who wants to hear a bit of Oasis. So here's She's Electric on LMFM.
6: She's Electric. She's
14: for our next interview, we talked to Jed Nash, a local TD. So um for our kind of Drada area and like on the topic of leaders, so we were just wondering. Like how did you get into the whole politics thing and what would you say to any of us if we wanted to try and start up?
17: Uh, I'd say go for it. Really, to answer your question, um, I was actually um, kind of involved in interest in politics and how things got done and how things could change and I felt that um, the people who were on the council at the time didn't represent me, uh, they were much older than I was um, they were you know, my, my parents age if not, not older yeah. um, and that's okay You know, yeah. we have to have broad mm-hmm. representation to represent uh, all interests in our community but there's nobody representing me so I was 23 when I ran for the council first I was only out of college a year or two uh, and I had that ambition to try and improve my area yeah. uh, so I was 23 1999 when I got elected first so um, that, that's really what drove me first I looked around that council chamber I said they don't really represent me they're good mm-hmm. people but they don't represent me yeah. and uh, we built a bit of a movement locally where younger people got more engaged in politics and, and you know, youth affairs and so on and uh, that's that's how it all started I guess.
14: Very yeah, good yeah because that's kind of what we were talking about as well you know getting in. I mean there's a lot of representation but for younger people you know it's good to have a voice. So going a bit deeper into Drada, do you think enough is being done now to help develop Drada?
17: Um, I'll always be critical because I'm hugely ambitious for uh, my town I I love this town Uh, I'm um, from it I was born and raised here I I think it has been the case that um, Drada hasn't been allowed to reach its full potential what I'd really like to see first is that the council will be restored uh, in Drada we had a council for many many years many many generations centuries indeed ruling the affairs of locality and it's important that Decisions are made close to as close to the area as possible. Um, so I'd like to see the council restored because that's really important. So local people can make decisions that impact on 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 our lives locally. I'm really ambitious for Tralee. Some of the things that have happened recently are good. I mean, we've now finally got movement on what we call the Northern Port Access Route. And you'll say, "Well, what's so important about a road?" The most important thing with that road is that it opens up uh, land for the development of 5,000 houses. The biggest issue I deal with every day is the housing problems that people have. And that's dominated, for example, debates in the Dáil over the last couple of weeks. And we'll continue to do so uh, over the next period of time. I'll always say things need to improve more because I'm so passionate about this area.
15: So, Jed, as a local TD, do you think Gerarder could ever become a city rather than a town?
17: I do, and that's been an ambition of mine for a long, long time. And we've got a good group uh, working uh, to promote that idea, to draw the Gerarder Drota City Status Group. And when people ask me, well, should Drota just be the best big town in the country? I say, yeah, well, we are anyway. But city status gives us, I think, that bigger kind of emphasis. I think the scale of, well, Drota internationally uh, is a would be a small city, uh, still reaches what we call the OECD standards. So there's a kind of international definition of what a city should be. We meet all, meet all of those thresholds. Drota, remember, is much bigger than the government would accept because Drota extends not just... You know, into South County Loud, but into County Meath as well. So yeah. when the government is measuring the size of uh, Drogheda, they need to take that into account. And they don't always do that. Remember as well that Drogheda is not just Drogheda. We service areas like in East Meath and South Loud, um, areas where people, you know, people would identify Drogheda as their town, where they get their services, where they go to school, where they work, where they use the hospital services, where they use council services, and things like that. I go back to something I said earlier on. I think the first most important thing we should do on our way to city status is restore our council, and we actually brought in legislation a couple of years ago in the Labour Party to you know, ask government to do that, to give power back to this area. That's the first step uh, on the uh, road to city status. Interesting thing is um, there's questionable definitions really in Irish law about how you actually achieve city status. That would have to be resolved too. But on our way to city status, I think city status is a state of mind and we have to believe and feel like a city. And then lastly, I
15: have one last question. Do you think Drada has enough funding at the moment to help it become the city standards?
17: I I, I don't. Um, and government. Um, all governments have to do a difficult uh, job. Uh, but I think because you know, we don't have our own council, because we don't look after our own affairs, then um, money probably isn't spread as fairly as it should be around the region and that's why the true scale and uh, of draw needs to be properly understood by government if you love you know the last couple of governments that they didn't give money for example the building that important road that we needed on the north side of draw that has actually ultimately been funded by developers who are going to do well out of the building of of houses one way or the other that road's getting built but i think that emphasizes the kind of lack of government interest in some ways in actually moving draw to the point where we needed to be one good thing though did happen over the last couple of years and it's something that i have been looking to uh, 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 get done for many many years now. The IDA, our Industrial Development Authority, that brings foreign direct investment into Drada or uh, into Ireland, you know, good jobs. Uh, in big international corporations. Uh, DRAW has been very underrepresented in terms of foreign direct investment for years. One of the things I've been campaigning for for years is the building of what they call advanced units. So buildings where companies coming from, you know, the US or um, Europe or, or anywhere else that wants to invest there and can actually come here into a building that's ready made for them. So, um, that's going to be happening over the next couple of years. It's really good news for Drada because what we want is to get people out of their cars and out of the buses and trains working in Drada, working in their own communities because it's good for them and it's good for their families.
15: Yeah, I uh, just want to thank you for coming in, Jed, and spending time with us to talk about this uh, matter.
17: Thank, thank you very much Tyg, and thank you uh, thanks everybody it's been a really great experience yep. very best of luck thank you
14: thanks so much to Jed Nash for coming in and talking to us today now here's some more great music on LMFM
15: up next is LMFM's very own Michael Reed. how are you Michael?
18: I'm good Tyg. how are you?
15: I'm good so we're going to ask you a few questions on Drada and how you want to see it in the future so yeah. first off do you think enough has being done to develop Drada? At the moment?
18: Yeah, well, quite a lot is being done, uh, and there's a, a lot of plans in place. Uh, I think, probably, like the other people you've spoken to, I'd agree that more could be done, uh, and uh, I'm sure in time a lot will be done. Uh, obviously, the derelict buildings in the town is a, a big problem, and that's something that should be tackled quicker.
14: Do you think John will ever become a city as it grows and develops? I think in
18: time it will. Yeah, yeah. I think the population is growing all the time, and uh, with the Northern Cross Route, an awful lot of people are going to move in uh, along that route, and that'll be very exciting. If 20,000 people move in and add to the existing 40,000, so yeah, quite possibly. And uh, how
14: do you feel about the facilities? Do you think there's enough? around the town are you happy with it or for you for, for young
18: people or for old people just anything in yeah, general really. Yeah.
14: Well, or you know um transport and all
18: yeah um I, I don't know um i think it's probably about 40 years since i was a teenager so that's a, a long time ago but um my big uh, idea uh, for drawada is one that everybody always laughs at and uh what i would do is i'd put a, a roof over West Street, uh, Perispex route over West Street. Mm -hmm. And uh, you'd advertise it then as the street it never rains in. And I think then I'd uh, have lots of hangout places in the street for young people. And maybe you could have things available to do in those places. uh, And let's say uh, table tennis tables or or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, And you could have maybe a a charge, uh, you ask 10 euro for the bats, (laughs) but you get the 10 euro back when you gave back the bats and that sort of thing Uh, maybe you could have concerts uh, but I I think really that it should be up to young people to decide because I'm too old to know what it is you want but I think something like that would work for young people and for old people Mm -hmm. and so on Uh, and I think that uh, instead of talking down to young people that young people should be telling the decision makers what they want for example like when I was 15 I had my own radio program and I was thinking about that because of what yous are doing and I thought why don't yous have your own radio program all of the time everybody is very excited about what yous are doing now uh, and maybe One of you should go to the management and say, we'd like our own radio programme all of the time on LMFM Mm -hmm. and have a a podcast and you could work with the schools and you decide the topics, you decide the issues, you decide if you're going to have music on it or if you're going to be talking about politics or dance or art or whatever it is because if it's about young people there's no point in asking old people about it, young people mm-hmm. know what they want, you're all very intelligent articulate uh, people yourself. Well there's a, a lot of schools and a lot of young people across Louth and Meath I think who'd probably be interested in something like that but again I can't claim I know because I'm too old to have an it opinion <laughs> <laughs> it's just my thoughts.
14: And do you think the town has changed a lot like over the years?
18: Yeah well it has, it's changed, uh, I came to Toronto 20 years ago and uh, then West Street used to be very busy, Uh, um, it's not as busy as as it was, Uh, it died off when they uh, made the footpath bigger but a lot of the shopping and that has moved out to the retail park so yeah. there's been a lot of change like that. And,
15: and what do you think of the just overall cleanliness of the town like do you think the council is doing a good enough job of trying to keep the place clean or do you think...?
18: The centre of the town is good once you move outside of the centre it's terrible because there's no cleaning done and uh, the biggest problem of all is uh, dog owners not cleaning up after the yeah.
15: dogs. Mm. There there needs to be more dog bins or something like that yeah. or more of uh like fine on being caught dog fouling or something like yeah, exactly,
18: that. Exactly, yeah. That's what I would think as well.
15: Thank you, Michael. More upcoming after the ad break.
2: T-Y, T-Y, TY
1: Takeover, T-Y takeover, T-Y takeover T-Y. On LMFM. This is the TY Takeover on LMFM and this is finished the lyric.
2: This means that we're all gonna have to take a turn guessing what's the next lyrics coming in the song. And now I beg to see you dance just one more time. So I say
10: Dance me, dance for me, dance. For me, oh, oh.
15: She just got over Valerie
14: yeah.
6: yeah. I can see clearly when you are on go- our oh- oh-
14: side I'm blinded by the lights yeah.
0: Yeah. You and me
9: Coming in the air tonight.
6: In this world, it's just us.
3: You know it's not the same as it was. Nice. <laughs>
17: will
1: always love you.
6: Yes, man, that's good. Let me redeem or redeem all myself tonight. Because I just need one more shot, second chance. Is it too late now to say... Sorry. <laughs>
7: you don't know You are beautiful
14: If only you
1: saw
14: Here is extraordinary producer Brian Fairley Singing for us today Garden There's not much time left today
8: Highway. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I, I'm going to do it all night long. Yeah,
10: yeah.
8: yeah there. There you go. good. You did well.
15: Thanks. This is the big boss of LMFM, Eamon Doyle, singing for us here on LMFM's <laughs> TY Take boy, it's waiting
0: there for you.
6: Finish Finish the the lyric lyric and TY
9: Takeover LMFM.
10: Thanks to all listeners for tuning in to the TY Takeover on LMFM.
1: This programme was brought to you by Learning Waves and the Broadcast Authority of Ireland.
0: TY Media Week, brought to you by Learning Waves, the BAI, and LMFM.
16: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.